Welcome to episode 139 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. Um, my resources, I have two on repeat that have been this week, um, and they're both from the same creator. It is Stacy Krause, who we've mentioned several times this week. The ones I have been using the most of hers are, she has one on irregular past tense, and then another one that's on um, subordinate uh, conjunctions. So, and it's got lots of, it has levels on it. Okay, so I'll start with the... Um, Irregular past tense. So things that I like about Stacy's resources is almost all of hers also include a lesson as part of the resource in the boom cards instead of just jumping into doing it. And I like that for several reasons. For me, it reminds me to not just test and also teach my students how to do things. I also think it works well if you're going to send those home, that something in there has something, an explanation for the parents and for the child of what they're supposed to do. Um, It's got lots of examples and comparisons, and so you've kind of set them up for success. Another thing I like about her resources is she they last me over several sessions, at least. She includes, you know, they all have like 50 pages or something like that on the boom cards that they're really big resources you're going to get a big bang for your buck with those. With the subordinate um, conjunctions, and she has ones for different types of conjunctions as well, but it's also leveled. So you have a like multiple choice fill in the blank kind of thing. And then you can go to the next level where they're completing the sentence with the rest of the conjunction, the rest of the sentence, and then has a third level where it's just like pictures, stock photos, and a list of the conjunctions. So the kids are creating their own sentences. So I love that it has those levels. I can make it last like at least a whole month of therapy just from one resource. So that's one that I would definitely, those are two of them that I would definitely go and check out from hers. Both Stacy Krause, right? Yep. Yep. Well, she's, I don't know how she keeps producing such great stuff, but she does. I wish I, I was that creative. That she, I know. I have a theory that she never sleeps, but she's informed us that she had <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> she does occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. But it does help. <laughs> I know that right now she is no longer doing direct therapy and is just creating resources. So that's mm-hmm. great for all of us that are doing direct therapy. And I'm sure if anyone thought of a resource that they ha- don't have yet, Stacy could probably make it. So reach out. <laughs> probably so. Yeah, yep. I'm sure she has lots of ideas, but she'd love to hear from others who yeah. would like to help develop something. So that'd be great. Well, on the podcast today, we have Avivik Bin Aharon from Great Speech. Uh, she is someone who developed Great Speech as a company, but has been a real pioneer in telepractice and telehealth. And it's great to have her on and to learn more about Great Speech and what she's been doing. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, 
We at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Well, Avivi, welcome to the podcast. Can you share more about your background? Thank you. And thank you again for having me here. Um, so my name is Avivit Benaron. I am the founder and clinical director of Great Speech, um, a speech language pathologist passionate about helping people improve their communication skills. Um, and I founded Great Speech uh, probably primarily because of a very, very special mom who was way ahead of her time back in 2006, 2007. I was working with her son, who was very involved uh, in an in-person clinic setting. And she used to come into the clinic and she used to bring her her three other children. And she had to manage between making sure that one of them is getting his homework done while the other one is busy eating dinner. And it was always sad to see how what a struggle it was for her to be able to really manage the sons, this one who needed so much support. And it was really very interesting. We once had a conversation and she was literally in tears and she's like, can't we figure out a way to do this therapy on the computer so we can still get to work with you, but I don't have to bring my whole family to the clinic. And I went home and I kind of like put it in the back of my head because at the time it was really so preliminary and so ahead of her time. Um, And I kind of chatted with my husband and kind of threw the idea out of like, can we actually do therapy online? Like, is that even a possibility? And is it just as good as doing therapy in person? And I started to research and I started to look into it. And I paired up with the ATA, the American Telemedicine Association. And I actually (laughs) flew up to Maine, which took me almost an entire day coming from Florida to get to Maine to do a telepractice course. It was a three-day course. And I learned a lot about the foundation of telepractice and how could we really utilize it to support our clients. And it was kind of like something I was dabbling in. And it was so new and so ahead of of our time that every person that I mentioned this to rolled their eyes and said, no way, that's not really possible. It's not going to be yeah. so successful. And I, I, the first couple of clients, I actually had to offer free therapy. I said, you know, I I can't do any damage, but let's try it out and see what are some of the things that I need to work through to see if this right. is actually successful. And lo and behold, I started working with a couple of clients. Some were pediatric, some were a little bit older. And it was fascinating to see how they responded to this model. And this was still WebEx time was the big the oh, big yeah. um, company at the time. And I was trying to figure out how do I utilize all the resources that WebEx had. and. At exactly the same time, which was very, very lucky for me, I met some of the founders of Zoom who were still designing WebEx. They used to work at WebEx and they moved right. to, to design their own platform. And I met with a couple of them really early on to try to see how we could use this platform in a way that would be beneficial for us for more interactive capabilities because they were very one dimension, meaning you could share the screen, right. but the the whiteboard feature was not really so accessible and had a mm-hmm. lot of limitations at the time. And without it, it really kept the, the therapy less engaging. So, you know, the combination of Zoom coming together, the combination of just the world kind of seemed to be 
moving towards this idea of telepractice, but again, very, very early on. And I remember having a conversation with, with somebody who was a little bit older and I mentioned something about doing this online and he's like, what are you talking about? That's never going to work. And I said, you know, you people used to say that depositing checks online is never going to work. And today it is how we bank. It is how we do things. We do so much using the resources and the technology that's available. Why not utilize it for therapy? So over the years, I kind of started and eventually I actually started to charge for our sessions, which was very, very cool. I was like, oh, I can actually get paid for this. This is great. And I moved away from working in an in-person clinic and really was starting to develop my own practice of uh, the virtual model. And, and I had mm-hmm. to deal with a lot of skepticism and a lot of rolling eyes and a lot of, well, I don't think this is the same. And and do all sorts of things to really try to guarantee the success of the, the model. And after a while, I got very excited about the results and the success. And I started to get a little bit more comfortable with letting people know that this is what I'm doing. And then a per, uh, one of my colleagues actually shared contact information for another therapist who was interested in something similar. So she came and we worked together. And then after that, we added another clinician to the team. And all the while really trying to maintain a very, very small, intimate, and clinically driven model. So it's not really, even today, we've grown tremendously. We have a lot of clinicians on our team, but we're very much a hands-on company. This is a company where Mm -hmm. my therapists have access to me directly. They can text, they can call, they can share ideas and suggestions. And I think that really speaks volume to how far we've come. I mean, with COVID, obviously, this the, the validity of the model has been substantiated and everybody now knows that virtual works just as well, if not better in some instances. And I think that's something very, very unique now to this time that we're in. And I can just, I'm so excited to see what else is coming down the pike in terms of technology and how the accessibility of services will come together. And... Over the years, I've met with a very, very, um, uh, really an incredible um, t- um, developer. And our mm-hmm. developer mm-hmm. really helped sit with me. And I sketched for him, on I remember, on a whiteboard, a big, big whiteboard, what I would love the portal to be like, like our proprietary portal. As a therapist, what would I want to see on that portal? And we sat together and I kind of, we kind of drew it out. And then we created a flow of how things should work and how the members' experience is going to be and how all of this will come together. And we've grown to developing a tremendous team now that really works exclusively to support our IT needs and help us develop the um, portal, the proprietary portal that we use and our therapists connect and share notes and, and, evaluations are on this portal and we really have a lot of accessibility to resources on this portal and it's kind of funny to see because he's still with us today and every so often I'll kind of poke at him and say do you remember those days when we worked with the whiteboard how far we've come since that day Mm -hmm. but it's really nice to see like how much the technology has moved forward and I don't take any of it for granted because I remember clearly how hard the beginning was um but yeah so we've really done leaps and bounds in the especially in the last couple of years for sure and have you focused when you started your practice were you mostly you were mostly pediatric right yes Yes. and how has that grown over the years 
Absolutely. So yes, my, my, my passion and my love is to work with kids that are very, very involved. And I did initially begin with the idea that I want to primarily focus on the pediatric patients, but I actually had a colleague of mine whose mom had a stroke and she Mm kind of was looking for a provider for her mom. And I said, okay, again, my attitude was always, let me try it. If it works great. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And, um, I actually did enjoy very much working with this, this mom and she's made tremendous gains at the time. So then I said, you know what, actually the adult population is a great population to, to work, uh, in this model. I initially thought it would be more exciting for kids because you can have the games and the technology and all that. But I realized that the adults appreciate other aspects of it. For example, they appreciate the fact that it's so convenient. They appreciate Mm -hmm. the fact that it's so accessible to them, that it's much more flexible, that it's done in the comfort and security and safety of their own home, especially when there's other mitigating circumstances. Like if you have, you know, if people don't want to get sick or they don't want to get into a car necessarily and drive anywhere or it's not impacted by weather. So our adult population, we got great reviews because those were the areas that they were looking for more support. And over the years, we've made some great uh, strides, again, in developing the team where we now really support, I would say about 30 to 40% of our clients are adults post-stroke, post-COVID. We see a lot of Mm post-COVID patients. We actually developed a program primarily to target and help those that are diagnosed with COVID um, and are showing symptoms of cognitive decline because of COVID. Um, we are working. Yeah. Which is, which is really so interesting because, and again, this is the beauty of this, this team that we have. I had a therapist who mentioned about a client that she felt that this client would work really, really well. If we can try to potentially create some sort of a group interaction for her with another client. And I said, you know, maybe if she's interested in that, maybe somebody else might be. And then we started to reach out to our client base and it turns out that there was Mm -hmm. a demand for it and an interest. So then that was, you know, something very interesting that we definitely are seeing much more uh, traction and people are responding really favorably to the therapy that's being offered. Um, Again, like I said, post-stroke is very, unfortunately, and you're seeing younger and younger patients that are diagnosed Mm -hmm. and are requiring therapy, Um, TBI, uh, head and neck cancers. um, And pretty much we see really, I would say, all ailments with the exception of dysphagia. We will not work with anybody with any feeding issues, but we definitely see a lot of Mm -hmm. voice patients, um, vocal nodule, vocal hygiene. Um, Now we're working more with transgender. We have uh, transgender um, training where we're working with therapists who really, that's their passion. That's their mission to really help um, anybody that's looking to go through that process of uh, transgender affirmation. And we're right there beside them, trying to support them. And what's unique Mm -hmm. to that is now the insurance companies are paying and reimbursing, which wasn't the case five or six years ago. So now that the insurance companies are reimbursing for it, it really lends itself to um, being able to provide that kind of support to our members. Are there any like big differences that you notice between telepractice for pediatric and telepractice for adults? Um, yes. Okay. So just like you mentioned earlier, you know, the kind of goofy behaviors that come around with the (laughs) pediatric patients, you don't really have to cope with that. Um, when it comes to the adults, they're there, they want to work, they're ready to work. 
Um, sometimes they're less patient with the technology. They get frustrated mm-hmm. by the technology a lot quicker. Um, they get, you know, they, they, they're much quicker to say, oh, no, 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 this is not, you know, this is not for me. Yeah. So sometimes that's what we do discover. Um, they are somewhat less flexible just in the way they think about activities and what therapy should look like. So I think a lot of what we do at the beginning is really assure them that this is you know, legitimate that this, we, we do an evaluation, they, we share with them the results. Like we really do make sure to follow the protocol so that they feel more um, comfortable with the idea of this model. Right. So um, I was just thinking a kid isn't going to question whether or not you're doing therapy when no. you're like playing a game. They're like, is right. this helping me or not? Kid's not going to do that. An adult is going to want to know why are we doing this activity? How is it going to help me? <laughs> Correct. So they're much, which is, which is really so nice because you really get to come up with goals that are functional for them, which right. I think is really awesome where sometimes you'll sit there with a kid and be like, okay, what would help you? And they're like, I don't know. my mom told me I need to do this. <laughs> right. blah, 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 my mom, my teacher, my principal, somebody said to yep. me, this is what I yep. need to do. So I think that's the difference between the kids and the adults um, that we have more of a partner when it comes to the adults. Now, when you have adults that are more impaired, that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes it is their children who are logging them in and making sure that they get the therapy that they need. And I have to say one of my most favorite touching situations that I really saw the benefit of this virtual model was um, we had a client and this was probably about six or seven years ago. And he was in Kansas, in a very, very remote area in Kansas. And his daughter was working in New York City for like an ad agency, like very high powered um, very, very high powered position. And she was really, really sweet and committed to the fact that she's going to help her dad get the therapy that he needs. And she found us and she reached out and, you know, we really had a great connection and we worked really well with her dad. But what was unique is every third or fourth session, we would schedule the session around her lunch break and she would log in remotely to the session and sit in with us and participate mm-hmm. in the session and kind of share with us what her dad was really like before the stroke. And I thought that was so interesting because you sometimes forget that these clients come with, you know, all the, the personalities that may have changed due to an ailment or an illness. So it's really nice to see like somebody coming in and sharing and taking the time. And they had such a nice connection that it really made the therapy so much more meaningful, even for us as clinicians. Right, um, right. And every so often we come across cases like that. And, and that really affirms the benefit of using this this model. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. You've mentioned a couple things that fit with that. Like when you talked about forming groups with other adults that were experiencing the same things and just those things that like the physical distance would be a barrier to. But it's not because we have this medium to practice with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, every so often I'll get a call from a mom. Actually, recently it happened that a mom mentioned to me, she says, you know, my son really loves this, this, the sessions. And I said, I said, what is it that he loves about, you know, the session? So she said, she's like, he loves the fact that I don't yell at him the whole car ride because we're running five minutes late and we Mm -hmm. still have to catch you know, find a parking spot and I'm constantly pushing Mm -hmm. him to be on time. And he didn't want to turn off the TV show five minutes early. And, you know, these Mm -hmm. things that we don't think about and the impact that they have on a child or any client for that matter, you know, if the therapy is sort of like seamless into their day and it doesn't feel like this thing where they have to get up and have to leave the house and 
rush and sitting traffic and then figure out parking and, you know, all these things that are complicating and making therapy so much more challenging. So if we can take all these things out of the equation and just focus purely on the therapy that we're providing, I think it's just so much easier and so much more successful. Right. And I just think too, there's something about the, um, like integration and generalization of the skills when they're already practicing it in their own home. Like you said, like there's that huge, you know, physical and mental separation of I'm getting in the car, I'm driving to a clinic, I'm sitting in a waiting room, I'm in this room that's perfect and set up for this kind of therapy versus I'm at home where I'm going to actually use these skills. And I think for both the therapist being able to see what is their home environment like, I have a student right now who lives in a bus that they are converting into a house with five kids in it. (laughs) And yes, I would have perfect therapy if they came to my clinic, but I wouldn't get to, you know, know what it's like every day at home and be able to say like, hey, is that room done yet? That ceiling looks cool. (laughs) All of those things that I can now integrate into the therapy. Um, Yeah, yeah, and I so nice. And it's so exciting for especially our pediatric patients to share what's going right. on, you know, to share their favorite toy, to share their toothbrush, to show me what's, where's their room. You know, they love to take the cameras and I get so dizzy when they do that. <laughs> 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 the I'm like, oh, please. Stop. You know, and, and listen, we've had our share of clients who attempted this doing, you know, driving from pickup and they would try to do the therapy in the car. And, and that right. wasn't ideal, but they sometimes have to try that. And yeah. Know, the trial and errors of what works and what doesn't. And you're right, seeing the home experience changes how we think about the therapy. I had a mom who mm-hmm. came and she had a, a two-year-old and he, she kept complaining that he's totally inattentive and he won't sit in in the call, that my initial call with her, and he won't sit and he won't play and he won't sit and he won't play. And she kept saying that. And then we did the session online and I'm looking in the background and I was overwhelmed. It was probably like a full-blown Toys R Us store in the background. (laughs) And I said, like, if you're going to have 50 different toys, he's not going to sit and play. And I said, and we Mm -hmm. went over the idea of, like, you just got to, you know, sift through, sort, kind of give him, like, a little bit of a sensory diet so that it's not overwhelming. I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have known known to ask what is his home environment like or his play like or you know that type of a situation so I think those are things that we need to kind of take into account the clients are really a holistic like more of a holistic approach so I think that's that's that is and you kind of get a glimpse into somebody's you know background which is kind of cool yeah you mentioned um being excited to see what comes next in this Mm -hmm. world of telepractice do you have any predictions any if yeah. you gazed into the crystal ball, what you think is coming? Oh my gosh. First of all, I need that compact to come together. <laughs> and the sooner, the better. Yeah. I would love for a lot of these regulatory limitations to come together mm. and really recognize the need to change it, modify it, make it more accessible. I would love for state licensure not to take two and a half to three months. I would love for fingerprinting not to get lost. So therapists would have to go get <laughs> the fingerprinting done six times. like Or to have to get a tuberculosis test to work in California. They, yes. Oh, yes. We get that. Absolutely. I have the same, we have the same issues and it's just so silly sometimes. And I keep yeah. saying to, to some of my, my, you know, my colleagues, I'm like, do they not understand we're on online like I can't get you sick like it's not relevant so I feel like if the world could just kind of catch on that 
part of it, you know, it would make a huge difference in the quality of, of, of our lives. Like I would spend a lot less time dealing with things that are so mm-hmm. not relevant in the scheme of things. Um, I think it's really incredible that, you know, having clinicians really get a lot of different trainings in a lot of different areas, I think is really awesome. I think more and more graduate school programs are encouraging our therapists to go out there to try different things, not to necessarily just, I, you know, go into the pediatric realm. When I was in grad school, that was kind of like the drive, go and be a clinician and support the school-based population. And I really wasn't introduced so much to the other options, to the adults, to whatever even else. Clinic, even private yeah. clinics, I feel like we're exactly. not very... Right. We're not pushed or advertised. Yeah. Correct. And even in, in as part of a graduate program to teach us clinicians how to do some things that will help us even if we want, worked for ourselves, like how to manage a, a business, what are regulatory things mm-hmm. that we need to think about, things like that, that I feel like kind of are not looked on in the grad school world. And I think if we could just kind of have it more of a practical sense, it would be really, really great. Um, I always say I would love to do grad school now. Not that I have any patience mm-hmm. to sit and study, but I would love to attend the classes that I did 15 years ago when I went to grad right. school and, and really learn for the sake of learning some of these things, because I think it would be so more so much more valuable now, because then I actually have clients that I can kind of use that information with and, and mm-hmm. really apply it. So I think that's something very important to give us the time to really try different things that we learn in in our classroom setting and really utilize it in the, um, in the practical sense. Um, so those are kind of like my big, my big ones and insurance companies. I wish yep. insurance companies would make things easier to, to work with and, and allow us to, um, bill easier and, and submit claims and not have issues when it comes to submitting claims and, and be proactive when it comes to therapy. So many insurance companies are denying claims and really these clients need the therapy and there's real reasons why the therapy could be beneficial, but they, they're making us jump through so many hoops that are just not necessary and are just making it so much more challenging for a lot of our clients. Right. So right. I'm hoping be- I'm hoping that COVID gets rid of some of these things too. Yeah. That like you know that we can use that as leverage to argue. Mm-hmm. Well, if you said it was okay when there was yeah. a shutdown, yeah. then why is it not okay now? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, and I do think that you know in so many ways things have changed and have gotten so much better and and easier. But we still have ways to go. I think it's still right. not as accepted as you know, especially telepractice is still not as accepted in so many avenues, in so many ways. And you still hear people say, well, you know, I prefer the in-person. And I always say, that's fine. And our model is that, you know, you try out a couple of sessions. And if you feel like this is not working for you, no problem. This is not a subscription. Anytime you feel like this is not working for you, let us know, share with us your feedback. And absolutely, we will see what we can do to try to help you, whether it's you know, making a change with therapist or making different recommendations within your community. Um, so we really do try to stay on top of, you know, and, and giving our clients the opportunities to try this and see if this would work for them. Um, but I wish that it would be more acceptable. Yeah. Well, I think these are, I think everything you've just said in terms of what we hope would happen in the next next year or two would be wonderful. 
What do you think in terms of technology? Where do you think all of this is moving in terms of telepractice and new technologies? So you definitely hear the AI in the background, mm-hmm. conversations about AI. And, you know, it's interesting because one of our, um, one of our um, key things that we've focused a lot on in recent months is developing a asynchronous uh, model of videos. So it mm-hmm. would be supplemental and would work with in conjunction with the the therapy that the client is receiving. And I see that the beauty of that model is not mm-hmm. that the client is just going to sit there and watch videos on their own, because frankly, that's like, right. you know, it's the difference between going to the gym and working out or going to the gym and working out with a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. So there's definite, you know, differences in the quality of the work that you're going to be able to, to do. Um, but I also see that our clients really do enjoy the, the interaction with the therapist. And I hope that that's going to stay. I hope that clients are still going to value the fact that a clinician is there to assess, to determine, to listen, to provide guidance um, in a way that is beneficial to the client and use these type of AI videos, other kind of supplemental um, therapeutic interventions as supplemental and not instead of. Um, So I think that's something that definitely I hear about and I see, but I'm I'm hopeful that clients are still going to gravitate towards the the therapy model where they are interacting with a live therapist. Yeah, I liked your comparison to thinking about it like going to the gym that, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, well, I'm going to use this more if I can access it at home. You know, mm-hmm. if I can get on and I don't have to worry about there being an appointment, I can get this, you know, practice this um this model or practice this exercise without someone having to be there with me, that's what I would use it for. But I still know I'm going to get it better if someone's there with me telling me that. And I love thinking about it in that way and in that model to for all those people that are kind of worried that we're going to get replaced by robots. (laughs) And I'm not, I'm really not concerned because again, there is some, there's so much value to personal interaction. And I see it because so much of our matching of between the clients and the therapist is really we think about therapists in terms of their clinical skills but in terms of their personalities as well and not every therapist mm-hmm. even though on paper i can give mm-hmm. you two therapists that have exactly the same skill set went to grad school have the same mm-hmm. um you know background in in so many ways but when you put the personality in there it changes the whole interaction and so right. much of that is really based on the personal connection and the personal interaction and I think that's one of the things that we think about a lot when we're doing our matching process is we really do take the personality into account as well. And I think for for our clients, it's very much appreciated because you can have one person deliver the message, but then you can have a different person deliver the same exact message in a completely different way and it may or may not work out. So we want to make sure that that match and that personality piece is still taking into account. So I think we're ways from from completely being replaced, quote unquote, but- it's something to keep in mind that there are resources that you can use, but it's got to be in conjunction with the in-person model as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I have this discussion periodically with my grad students and, and other professionals. And my my perspective has been basically that I don't think that AI will replace us, but I do think that SLPs who know technology and how to use it well will replace those SLPs who can't or don't. 
And I do try to reinforce that with my, my grad students, actually. And we do telepractice and they're being trained before they graduate to, to be able to do both seamlessly, hopefully, uh, to be able to be in person and do therapy, obviously, but also to be able to jump online and be able to know the platforms and know how to be successful in a virtual environment as well. So. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting because some of my most successful therapists, um, usually when we onboard a therapist, we always look for a therapist who has at least four to five years experience of being a clinician in a clinic, mm-hmm. in a school, somewhere else, because I do think that makes a big difference in how they respond and how they manage the the virtual space. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting that some of my therapists who are most successful, that we get the best feedback as far as the client's concern, that are reliable and consistent, happen to be therapists who haven't been, you know, have been practicing for 20, 25 and 30 years too. So mm-hmm. they've been around, they have a lot of experience. They were very uh, willing to learn this 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 model, right. this, this virtual model. They were open to the virtual mm-hmm. model. And yes, it did require a little bit, you know, extra time on our end to get them set up. But once we got them set up, they actually ended up being really some of our most successful clinicians. Um, so I think this is not something that is limited to, you know, new, freshly minted, mm-hmm. you know, right out of grad school you know, generation X or Y or Z, whatever we're up to at this point. <laughs> right. But it is for anybody that's willing to to be to committed, yeah. is creative, um, flexible in how they think about therapy, willing to adapt. Um, and I think those are all great skills, regardless of the age. So we really have a very, very diverse um, mix of clinicians. And I think one of the things mm-hmm. that they really appreciate is the fact that they have us and our administrative team so accessible to them. So if there is an issue, if there is a glitch, if there's a problem, they feel like they can reach out, which I think makes them feel very good. Um, they feel supported and yeah, yeah, yeah it makes they, all the difference. Yeah, really exactly. Does. You it mentioned really a couple of those kind of like soft skills. I think we usually call them of a teletherapist. And I know you mentioned your matching program too, which I think is such a great and interesting concept to not just like be like, oh, who has a spot in their schedule to actually like have a Mm -hmm. thought of who's going to be the best for this client and for the therapist. Are there any other of those kind of soft skills or or things that you just look for when you're matching those clients and the therapist? Absolutely. So I have uh, many, many times is who is going to work well with the caregivers or the parents. You have to also have a clinician who can communicate Mm -hmm. well with the families. Um, whatever the dynamic is, some parents are very, you know, I, I always say that some of our clients are what I call the dry cleaning clients. The parents drop them off in therapy. They want us to fluff them, fold them, send them back all fixed and ready to go. Um, and my clinician is always laugh when I say that because some <laughs> parents are just like some caregivers. Yep. It's not even parents, sure. but they want to have nothing to do with the therapy. And therefore, right. they are not involved. They're not committed. They're just letting the kids do their thing. And in some families, in some instances, it works great. And for some clients, it doesn't. And we do need to pull the parents in and explain to them that we do need them to be involved. So I think it's a therapist who can communicate well, um, communicate expectations well. I think that's something very important. Really help the clients and the families come up with good functional goals. It doesn't help me that I'm working with a client who is barely verbal, but they're working on the L sound. Like that has nothing to do with what would be most beneficial for that child. 
Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes I encourage my therapist to think beyond the actual age because they're taken, they're thrown back by the fact that, well, he's 14. Right. But he functioned as a eight year old or seven year old. And we need to take right. that into account. Um, so I think for us, that's very, very important. A therapist who can really kind of communicate with the client holistically and with the families and really make sure that everybody feels supported. Um, I think somebody who is fun and engaging, I think is very important because I sometimes feel like because it's virtual, like you almost need to be a little bit more engaging. Mm -hmm. If you're very, very passive and very quiet, it's easier to lose some of our patients. So I, I always say, you know, make sure to be engaging. When we just started out, I always used to have a box of props. And when a client mm-hmm. would really be challenging, adult or kid, I would throw on a funny prop or, you yeah. know, a hat or mm-hmm. glasses, something to kind of make it a little bit more personal. Um, a therapist who can be encouraging. I think for some clients, they just need to hear that things are going to be okay. And their kid is going to be okay, or their parent is going to be okay, or they're going to be okay. Um, so somebody who is going to be very supportive and encouraging and use, you know, um, good use of of reinforcers to really ensure that the client feels supported in the session, I think is really important. Um, you know what? Somebody who's organized, believe it or not, as much as all of us are type A personalities, some therapists are very scattered brains mm-hmm. at. You know, there's a session at four o'clock Eastern time and they're like, oh, was it Eastern? Was it Central? Was So, you know, somebody mm-hmm. who stays on top of things, I think is really appreciated both for us from the administration side, but also for the client. I mean, I think clients really want somebody who's going to be there when they say they're going to be there, deliver what they're going to say they're going to deliver um, and participate and be fully in the sessions. So I think that's important also to remember. I think those are great soft skills, and I and I agree with you 100% on everything you just mentioned. And I, the, keeping the attention is extremely important. And yeah. uh, it's, you know, I, I see that with my grassroots who are so nervous anyway. Right. Yes. <laughs> but they kind of lose that that ability to kind of be engaging at the same time because they're so yeah. nervous trying to figure everything out everything else i know i was gonna say todd you should make it like a class assignment to listen to this episode can we do that probably will (laughs) you've shared a lot of great information i think for a lot of clinicians thank you you really have yeah thank you i appreciate it this is this is really awesome i think again using one of my favorite activities i used to do with a lot of my clients was we used to watch commercials specifically super bowl commercials so mm-hmm. I think the Rito's commercial and I would have mm-hmm. the, the client, you know, I would, and I usually try to do it more with my teens because some of these commercials were a little bit difficult for the younger kids to understand. And I would have them kind of right. tell me the story of the commercial as they're watching it. And it was always so fascinating to see like, boy, you guys are watching a TV, like Super Bowl, you're watching these commercials and you have no idea what the storyline is behind it. <laughs> so I think like just pulling these kind of, videos and resources and using the internet in a way that is useful, I think is so valuable Mm -hmm. to a lot of our digital native clients. I mean, this is what they know. This is what they're familiar with. And it's not, we can't take this generation of, especially the younger kids, you can't take this generation of kids who are so used to something that's 
buzzing and 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 you know lighting up and and give them a worksheet and say oh right. this is going to be equal right. equally yep. successful yep so I, yeah. I am i am re- reminded almost weekly with my grad students that i don't share the same cultural touchstones as they do because i'm more maybe their father's age i'm not quite their grandfather's age yet but i'm more their father's ages at this point uh, but I'll make some cultural reference to some popular music or something that was maybe when I was in high school or something. And it's like blank stares and like, what are you talking about? What is what do you mean? Gosh, um, I tried to use I tried to use the guy from Ferris Bueller as an, an example of monotone voice the other day. And yeah, my students Bueller, looked at me like, right. what is this talking about? I was like, I'll give five points. I, five points that mean nothing <laughs> to anyone who can name this movie. <laughs> nope. really Not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. no, absolutely. It's true. It's, you know, it's interesting. I have four boys and my oldest is 21 and my youngest is seven. And I am watching how the two that my two kind of I call them my my bookends, and I watch how different mm-hmm. their growing up experience is. Where my oldest mm-hmm. was just introduced to the whole technology model when he was like mm-hmm. five or six, and he just started to kind of phase into his life and become part of his life. My seven year old, it is totally embedded in how his whole experience. Everything centers around. Oh, can you? Can you order from Alexa? Can you Google this? Can you do that? Like his use right. of concepts is so different. Like if he needs to to know something, he doesn't ask me. He goes to the Alexa and he asks yeah. Alexa yeah. to tell him. And and I'm like, sure. oh wait, I could I could still maybe help mm-hmm. you here, but it's different. And my 21 year old grew up completely different. So I could see how even in that span of time, things have changed dramatically in terms of how we adapt to technology. And I really do understand how a seven year old who's a digital native is growing Mm -hmm. up completely different than somebody who is like us. We kind of, you know, we're, I call Mm -hmm. it second generation. We are learning, you know, this language of, uh, and being in the digital space. So I think it's just, this is how the world is going to go. And this is, and it's something that we need to acknowledge as clinicians and really direct a lot of our therapy to how to support our kids as they're using so much more technology. Is it really benefiting them in terms of their language development, in terms of their Mm -hmm. interactions, Mm -hmm. in terms of how they socialize and things like that? Yep. I agree. Well, Avivia, it's been wonderful having you on. How can people reach out to you and be in touch with you? Thank you. Yes, absolutely. So our website is Mm greatspeech.com. So absolutely feel free to reach out on the website. And if anybody feels that they want to submit an inquiry to join our team, we have a join the team tab on the top right. Or if they want to submit an inquiry for services, absolutely. Um, If they want to email me directly, they can. It's avivit at greatspeech.com, which is avivit, A-V-I-V-I-T at greatspeech.com. Um, yeah, and just, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm wherever, wherever we need to be. <laughs> so, yes. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you here and Thank good luck you. with everything you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I look forward to hearing from you. Take care. I want to thank Avivik for joining us on the podcast. And she shared so many insights for working with both children and adults. So, Go check out what she's doing over at greatspeech.com. And 
you can check out what we're doing here at 3C, 3C Digital Media Network. Go to our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and check out some webinars and courses that we have going on and some of our other podcasts that we have on the network. We'd love to have you involved. And, hey, if you have an idea for a webinar or a course, please email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com. And I'll reach out, and maybe we can get you on our platform and offer your webinar or course to the masses. And with that, we'll be back again next week for another exciting episode. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production, you guessed right, of the 3C Digital Media Network. 